Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. Up next, a story from Robert Froelich. Robert is the author of Aimless Life, Awesome God, and a regular contributor to this show. Today, Robert shares with us the story of a man who impacted him profoundly. Take it away, Robert. World War I, 
Wilhelm Bissner was in the German army. His assignment was to care for the horses that pulled the cannons to fight against the Russians. During a gas attack in that war, Wilhelm suffered the loss of his sense of smell. After the war, he was awarded a small disability annuity for his injury. The monthly payments continued until he died in Florida in 1977. Wilhelm was born in 1892, the son of a tavern owner in Berlin, Germany. He learned his trade as a tool and die maker and married Elspeth Schultz. In 1927, they came by ship to America with their daughter, Ursula. Wilhelm Bissner became William Bertner. His German friends called him Willie and everybody else called him Bill. When he first came to the United States, Bill worked as a mason's helper while he learned the English language. Then he went to work at his trade. Long Island, New York was a hotbed in the early days of aviation and he saw it all. He knew many of the pioneers in that field. He worked for Seversky and for Sikorsky, the early developers of the helicopter. He also worked for Republic Aircraft and Chance Vought Aircraft. In 1933, Bill went to work for Edo Aircraft in College Point, New York. Bill was involved in the design and fabrication of floats for various aircraft, including some for Charles Lindbergh and Admiral Byrd. I remember he had two model airplanes proudly displayed on the mantle in his College Point home. One was a solid aluminum model of Lindbergh's plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, and the other was a Chance Vought F-4U, the iconic gull-winged Navy warplane. World War II created a huge demand for military aircraft floats. As assistant division superintendent, Bill headed up a fabrication shop According to one College Point residence, he hired, quote, every German toolmaker and machinist he could find, including my father's, and as a result, put food on the table for my family, unquote. Bill put all his skills to work, revamping tool designs and manufacturing processes to make the production faster and more safe. In 1943, he won a National Safety Ace Award for one of his designs. After the war, Bill retired to his 100-acre retreat in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York, living in a house he had built himself. He and Elspeth took me with them in 1947. He had a small machine shop there and planned to do some contract work from time to time. That only lasted a year. They moved back to the city, gave me back to my mother, and Bill started work at Sperry Gyroscope Corporation. The company manufactured guidance systems for ships, aircraft, and missiles. Bill always took great pride in his work, immersing himself in the tiny details of his craft, and he loved the shaping of hard steel or soft aluminum into useful objects. 
Once he showed me a rectangular aluminum box about one and a half inches wide and high and about two inches long. It had a hinged lid. At Sperry, Bill had designed the tool that made this box, which was an electrical junction box for the instrument panel of the Boeing 707 aircraft. He explained to me the intricacies of bending allowances and the tiny tolerances that went into this simple object. Bill retired again in 1961, but when I returned home for military service in 1964, I found him working every day in a small local machine shop, still making tools to shape metal to his will. Bill's German-born love for precision and order carried over to his off-duty life. He owned just three cars during my lifetime, all Plymouths, a 1941, a 1955, and a 1968. They were all base models with manual transmissions, and apart from a radio, no amenities. Every Saturday, Bill would check under the hood. Reflecting on my grandfather's life, it amazes me the advances he was part of. Young Wilhelm taking care of horses in the muddy battlefields of World War I. Bill, the tool and die maker, acquainted with the pioneers in aviation. Bill, the superintendent, helping to win World War II by making water landings possible for military aircraft. And Bill, the tool maker, seeing parts he helped create flying high in the sky and even into space. Bill Burtner loved this country and he made the most of the opportunities it gave him. And he returned the favor by giving his best to America. He never lost that German love for precision and Ordnung, nor did that distinctly German accent ever leave him. He was my grandpa and I loved him. And what a gem we just heard. I mean, what a time to have grown up. I mean, from horses to flight, and there he is right in the middle of flight, using his God-given skills to help America defeat the Nazi menace. Our arsenal of democracy, folks, we couldn't have done it without it. And men like Bill on the front lines. William Burtner's life story is told by his grandson, Robert Froelich, here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. we continue with our American stories and now it's time for our do the right thing series about ethical dilemmas that's sponsored by the great folks at the Daniels Fund and our own Alex Cortez brings us today's edition take it away Alex Kirk Aubrey is the CEO of Savage a second generation 75 year old family company whose supply chain services help feed the world power our lives and sustain the planet 
but before Kirk became CEO of anything, he was a poor kid in Windsor, Ontario. I had a mentor when I was a kid who was a radiologist and he owned a number of radiology clinics. Watching him run his business saw him go through a situation where he was doing what he thought was the right thing in terms of how he'd build, but the provincial government didn't see it that way. The issue actually had to do with the number of x-rays that were allowed for an individual patient. It was an interpretation of a medical evaluation that the individual doctor, the radiologist in this case, had to make to determine whether or not he could get an accurate reading on the condition. And so this particular individual made the call that this number of images was required to get an accurate read on a given medical condition and the province disagreed. Not unlike a lot of the requirements today, there is a certain amount of interpretation how things can get billed. And this individual who was basically like a father to me, I watched him go through a situation where initially there was an inquiry and an investigation and they ended up going back five years and looking into his practices and billing procedures. Charges were laid against him and he had to spend a significant amount of money on lawyers to defend himself and the business was really torn apart and personally he suffered a lot of stress. His family was under a lot of stress. I actually remember painting his fence and I remember him coming home in the middle of the day and sitting down next to me on a chair and just seeing him just look so completely devastated. And this was a guy who always was on top of things, always out in front. And he was just feeling like there was no way out of the situation, that no matter what he was gonna lose. And at the end of the day, he, he did lose in terms of, from a financial perspective, because of the, the money it took to defend himself. But he prevailed and made the case that he was honoring the regulations, but during the time, there were lots of people who questioned his integrity. And, you know, here, here was a long-standing member of the community, you know, highly respected, and was shredded in the newspaper and in media. And, it, and the interesting thing was, you know, he actually just died. He was 95 years old. And, you know, we would talk fairly regularly. And I think until the day he died, he still carried some amount of resentment for the fact that he held his own integrity is such an important part of who he was and that this situation had caused it to be tarnished. It, it left a kind of an indelible impression with me to make sure even though you see a, a person of high integrity, they can still be subject to people who may be in a position to, to really do damage to them. And that whole situation for him just demonstrated for me how fragile integrity is that you really do have to care for it, nurture it, preserve it, make sure that there's never anything you would do that you couldn't clearly and easily defend. The notion of certain things, you know, are, they're not always black and white. And, you know, if you're going to interpret something from my perspective, you better be able to defend it because there are frequently going to be people that might say that's not the right way to do things. And in this case, that was, that was the situation. For a long time, think about the era, this was 45 years ago, that was still an era where doctors felt they should not be questioned. And that was, you know, very much part of his persona. It was sort of, he knew better and these regulators shouldn't be asking him questions. And so, yeah, he did feel like he, if he had it to do over again, he could have been more forthcoming and he could have been more transparent with folks asking the questions. 
And we see this in our business today. We deal with virtually all of, or many of the regulatory bodies in the country. And we actually take a very proactive stance when dealing with regulators. We believe that it's far better to bring people in as opposed to wait until you know an inspection or an audit is coming. We would much rather interact with folks and show them what we're doing and tell them what we're doing and solicit feedback on whether they see any problems or issues. And there are some people when I say that that think that's just crazy. But the idea of wanting to make sure we're on the right side of an issue is more important to us than whatever inconvenience it may cause in terms of somebody coming in just sort of uninvited. There was a second person whose example taught Kirk a lot about ethics. Kirk had bought and turned around a struggling company called Trio Communications, but not without some trouble. I have one example of an individual that he was president of our local bank, and I got to know him through a charity, and we became friends as well. And we had a situation where we had a, the only bad debt we ever had in 12 years, and it was about $400,000, and it was for a company of our size, an enormous loss. It was a company that went bankrupt that was a customer of ours and left us with a holding the bag for about $400,000. I was at breakfast with this individual, and I was telling him how I was contemplating what we were going to have to try to do to survive the situation. And I went back to my office, and he went back to his, and about an hour later, he walked into my office, and he put a check on the desk for $50,000 and it was on his personal account. And he, he said, I don't care if I ever get this back. I just wanna make sure you, when someone else has a need like you have, that you pay it forward. And I did pay him back, I paid him back with interest. And so that was an incredibly generous thing that he did, you know, sort of unsolicited. It was, it, I, I learned over time that that was very common for him. Not that he would walk in and give people $50,000, but that he would help out when people were in trouble. And that was another, huge lesson for me in terms of how to help people when they need it most and how to pay attention to those situations. Kirk's company was already a client at the bank, and after experiencing their ethical leader in action, respecting their clients, and concerned about their viability, I doubt Kirk was going to change banks anytime soon. No, there's no way. I mean, there was, there was no way. We had lots of opportunities to go different places for uh, banking relationships, and I would just never, never even consider it. And although the help was incredible, there were still another $350,000 in the hole. And how you ethically react to a crisis like this is a dilemma of its own. And so we suddenly became members of a committee that you'd never want to join, which is the creditors committee. We learned an awful lot about bankruptcy law in a very short period of time. And we had to work with our suppliers to negotiate extended terms and try to get people to understand that you know we wanted to continue. It was a question of whether or not we could continue in business at that point. The cash flow situation was such that that could have potentially put us under. And so we had to go out and talk to all of our creditors and critical suppliers, which was another lesson that I took forward that would never trade was the ability to have conversations with people, explain what's going on, keep them informed. And then it's amazing how much help you can get from people once they really do understand your situation. Whereas if we just try to slow pay people and string them out, we would have had angry suppliers and angry partners. And understandably, they wouldn't have necessarily wanted to do business with us over time. And I don't 
I apologize, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but Warren Buffett's quote about how to handle crisis situations is all about speed and transparency. I mean, he basically says, get it out, get it out fast, and make sure people understand what you're gonna do about it. And most people, not all, but most people really do respond when they sense that someone is being candid and forthright and well-intended. If somebody perceives that you're trying to pull something, you know, who can blame them for not really wanting to cooperate? But if you really are trying to dig your way out of a tough situation that you didn't cause, a lot of people will, they'll cut you a lot of slack. So it was a, one of the most painful experiences of that, you know, 12 years of owning my own business. But it was really instructive because it ended up serving me later when we bought a company out of bankruptcy and I really understood what those folks were dealing with who were suppliers and creditors to that organization. Some of the strongest relationships I had from that experience I maintain to this day where, you know, when you've gone through something tough with somebody and done it ethically and honorably, that frequently makes the relationship stronger. And you've been listening to Kirk Arbery talking about, well, so many things, but the focal point is integrity and, well, how to keep it. When we come back, more of Kirk Aubrey's story, more of our Do the Right Thing series, here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash OAS. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we continue with Our American Stories and with Savage CEO Kirk Aubrey for our Do the Right Thing series, which is sponsored by the great folks at the Daniels Fund. Let's return to Alex on the second generation and 75-year-old family company. Savage has powerful vision and legacy statements, but they're a little long. So Kirk and the team decided to boil them down to three guiding principles. Do the right thing, find a better way, and make a difference. Anybody anywhere of our 4,500 team members know that if they're practicing those three phrases, they're never going to get in trouble. Fairly early on when I got here 10 plus years ago, we had a situation where, you know, for many of our customers, these are long-term relationships, they're long-term contracts, and they have escalation clauses and they have complexity in them that you really have to stay on top of. And although we work really hard to make sure we're, we're on top of these things, there was one that a calculation was not being performed correctly. And so it wasn't caught by our customer. It wasn't caught by our auditors. It wasn't caught by anybody other than somebody in our accounting department who uncovered the fact that we'd been overcharging a customer to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars. And I was actually, this was one of my first meetings here and I was sitting in a meeting and someone had, they came in just to tell us what they had done. 
And when I say, tell us what they had done, not the mistake, they came in and told us what they had done to correct the problem, which was to immediately notify the customer that we'd had a miscalculation and immediately credit the account. And so to me, what that illustrated, I remember just sitting there thinking, man, that's amazing that nobody came in and checked, hey, should we talk about this? Should we tell the customer they didn't catch it? That was never a question. And should we pay them back? That was never a question. It was, we're gonna do the right thing. And that's, that's where we start. And so that was a really reassuring, I came here primarily because of how connected I felt to that approach to business, but I got to witness it early in the process and everybody, no one was surprised, nobody was angry. We did say, okay, how did this happen and how can we prevent it in the future? But that was not to lay blame. Nobody ever asked who did this, whose fault was it? And so that was a really important early lesson for me coming in to say, this is the kind of company I thought it was when I decided to join. And next, Kirk shares a story that occurred before he had even joined Savage. They had sold their cement assets to a partner named Geneva Rock and in return acquired Geneva's trucking assets at what they believed was a fair market value. And it's what happened after that that originally piqued my interest in Savage. After the transaction was completed, Savage was able to sell some of these assets at a significantly higher value than was anticipated in the transaction with Geneva. And so we went back to Geneva and basically wrote them a check for the difference. Even though that was not required by a contract, it was just, again, it was just viewed as the right thing to do. Geneva's been a partner and customer of ours for probably 30 years. And so, you know, again, you go back to the story I told you about that, that bank president, try to get somebody at Geneva to try to go to somebody other than Savage after having that relationship, you know, that, that kind of a, a gesture made pretty hard to do. Those are the kinds of relationships that we want to continue to promote and continue to earn the right to provide service to customers and continue to build the relationship in ways that they want to give us more. That's the thing about all these stories, right? There are lessons that you learn. And one of the things I love about this company is this notion of finding a better way, which makes it not a bad thing to go back and look at how can we be better? How could we have done this better? How could we have been more accurate? We shouldn't be in the habit of having to go write checks to people when we make a mistake on valuation. And so that's a big part of who we are. It actually is a big part of our safety process and our culture of safety, where we are wide open to both identifying hazards and things before they happen, but also going back when something hasn't turned out the way we wanted it to and doing a really full, thorough root cause analysis to understand that. That root cause analysis mentality goes across lots of our parts of our business. A lot of times we're out working with our customers' assets and working with their materials and doing things, and there's not an ability to have that much oversight. So there's, there's gotta be inherent, an inherent trust in the relationship. And so the one thing I can tell you that I think is most interesting in terms of the biggest compliment I think we've ever been paid by a customer, somebody asked for a reference, can we talk to a current customer? Then we gave them the name and contact information of, of a large energy customer of ours. And the prospective customer was asking about the tenure of our contract, how long is the contract? And our current customer said, I don't even know. He said, I know the contract's there, but he said, what's more important to me is that we have a relationship and relationships don't expire.
And it was a really important thing for our team to hear and understand that yes, there needs to be a contractual underpinning to what we do, but we also have to honor the nature of these relationships and all of the things that go into having a strong relationship based on trust and integrity. So yeah, I can give you tons of examples of things where customers have said, boy, you, you guys went above and beyond and did things that we didn't expect. And that's just kind of what is expected of our team. And there's also the more rare expectation that the language which the team uses with each other is in the spirit of the ethical principles of respect, fairness, and builds mutual trust. There have been some things that we've done in the past 10 years or so where we've gotten very purposeful about language that we use to describe situations. So we don't have a headquarters. We have a service support center and nobody is allowed to refer to it as a headquarters because of what that kind of represents. So this building is here to serve and support the team that's out in the field. And we frequently remind people who are here in this building that, that this building doesn't exist without the people who are doing the work on the front lines every day for our customers. We don't have employees, we have team members. And so I still bump into people every once in a while who refer to an employee, but we don't have them. We don't have bosses. We have team leaders. We don't have an HR department because I think the notion of human resources is a little insulting. So we have a people group and we have a chief people officer. And those things can sound maybe a little trite, but they send a message about what's important to us. We built our service support center and nobody has a corner office. We did that intentionally because of what the idea of a corner office represents. And everybody in the building has a view. Well, actually today we don't because the, somehow the mountains are missing over there, but because um, we've got some, some uh, something going on, some weather going on. But everybody in this building, we designed it so that we don't have kind of folks who, who don't get to enjoy that benefit. And, and our view is that there's no position in this company that's any more important than any other position. There are no reserved parking spaces. That's just, it's all part of, you know, what we think is important to create the culture so that team members do really believe that we want them to do the right thing. We want them to find a better way and we want them to make a difference. I've been in companies where I've seen what we characterized as say-do gaps, right? I've been in companies where there are lots of statements about integrity and the importance of integrity and all those things, and then you see behavior that isn't consistent. That's worse to me than if the statement had never been made, right? I'd rather, the, the beauty of what we have created over the 75 years is it is part of a system that we're constantly working on and constantly trying to get better and we're never gonna get there. We're never gonna just arrive. We're gonna always be looking for a better way. And great job as always to Joey on the production and to Alex for bringing us this story. And a special thanks to Kirk Aubrey as well, CEO of Savage. And my goodness, he talked about integrity, trust, and fairness. And those are just three of the principles in the Daniels Fund Ethics Initiative. Our Do the Right Thing series about ethical dilemmas is always sponsored by the Daniels Fund. And to learn about bringing their ethics programs to your school, business, church, police department, or any other organization you're a part of, go to danielsfund.org. The story of Kirk Aubrey, the story of Savage, a second-generation, 75-year-old family company still working hard to keep the trust of their customers and to keep doing the right thing. Our Do the Right Thing series, as always, sponsored by the Daniels Fund here on Our American Stories. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Turn to our American stories, and we love to tell stories about history on this show. And all of our history stories are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, where you can go to learn all the things that matter in life, all the things that are beautiful in life, a classical liberal arts college 
and there are so few of them left in this great country. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. I learned more watching the Constitution 101 course, their free offering, than I did in three years studying law at the University of Virginia School of Law. Up next, a story from writer Anne Clare on two of America's first responses to the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Doolittle Raids and the Battle of the Coral Sea. Take it away, Anne. The Japanese attacks on Pearl Harbor and other Allied strongholds on December 7, 1941, had far-reaching consequences. Shocked and angered, the United States officially entered the Second World War. On the home front, people of Japanese descent living in the U.S. faced suspicion and in some cases internment. Abroad, the U.S. Navy, damaged but not destroyed, looked for chances to strike back. Now, as the U.S. was looking for a chance to strike back, one of the goals was Tokyo itself. The new commander in the Pacific, World War I veteran Admiral Chester Nimitz, definitely knew that striking Tokyo was no mean feat. His ships were pretty severely outnumbered in the Pacific, and in order to get bombers close enough to strike Tokyo, he'd have to send an aircraft carrier and escort ships within just a couple hundred miles of the target. And at that range, he risked both the planes and the ships when he didn't really have any to spare. So how could he risk it? Well, the answer came in this whole plan that became known as the Doolittle Raid because it was led by Lieutenant Commander James, or Jimmy, Doolittle. Now, an aircraft carrier's regular complement of planes has a shorter range, but B-25 bombers had a range of around 1,200 or more miles. So the big idea was that if pilots could be trained to take off in B-25s from a carrier's short runway, those extra miles would make the whole scheme of an attack on Tokyo far less risky to the ships. The problem was that the B-25s were too heavy to land on the carriers afterwards. So they had to figure out what to do with the planes. Now, Doolittle's plan was that they'd actually continue past Tokyo after dropping the bombs and land in China. Because while there was a lot of conflict going on in China, there were friendly forces there. The, the Chinese had groups that were allied with the Americans, even though Japan was occupying different areas. They hoped they could find sheltering forces to hide them, and then eventually they could just make their way back to the U.S. Nimitz agreed to the plan. So 16 B-25s and 80 crewmen boarded the USS Hornet and set out. The plan did succeed in part. Now the bombers achieved their surprise. They were able to unload their payloads and to fly on. Afterwards, things didn't work out quite as they might have hoped. One crew did not make it to China. They actually landed near Vladivostok and were detained there as authorities of the USSR maybe overcome with the need to show hospitality to their new allies, detained them for over a year until they got out. 
eight of the the Doolittle Raiders were captured by the Japanese and imprisoned. Of those, three were executed, and one died as a POW. However, Doolittle himself and the majority of the others did find shelter with the sympathetic Chinese as planned. Now, the Japanese authorities really downplayed the importance. They called it the do-nothing raid instead of the Doolittle raid. However, Admiral Yamamoto is quoted as saying, even though there wasn't much damage, it is a disgrace that the skies of the imperial capital should have been defiled without a single enemy plane being shot down. As the Japanese planned their next strokes, their attempt to spread their influence and control in the Pacific would shortly bring them into a direct clash with US forces in the Coral Sea. But before we can really move on to the Coral Sea, we need to go back a little bit to the other American responses to Pearl Harbor. US naval intelligence was scrambling. They were fairly shocked and embarrassed at how badly things had gone at Pearl. And it really galvanized the efforts of people like cryptanalyst Commander Joseph Rochefort and Admiral Nimitz's chief intelligence officer Captain Edwin Layton, and they really were struggling to break the Japanese naval code. And in late April, they sent word they discovered something. Maybe it was spurred by the successful Doolittle raid, but whatever the case, Japan was preparing for a big push to expand their influence in the Pacific. And it appeared they'd try to take Port Moresby in New Guinea, which would give them dominance of the Coral Sea, very close to Australia. So victory there would give the Japanese a real clear shot at Australia, as well as potentially cutting Australia's supply lines with the US, which would really do a number on allied efforts in the Pacific. Admiral Nimitz sent the aircraft carriers Yorktown and Lexington, along with several American and Australian cruisers to meet this threat. And it turned out the intelligence was correct. Admiral Yamamoto had sent his own forces to the Coral Sea, including not two, but three carriers. So the stage was set for a new kind of naval battle. Um, aircraft carriers were not brand new on the scene, but they definitely changed the face of naval warfare in the Pacific. Because both US and the Japanese could launch attacks on each other while still completely out of sight. Now, of course, the trick is, <laughs> the planes would still need to be able to find the opposing vessels. This might not sound hard in theory, but poor weather conditions made it pretty difficult, especially for the Japanese who had no radar. The opposing sides spent the 5th and 6th of May searching for each other. On the morning of the 6th, US planes spotted smaller aircraft carrier the Shoho and sank her. One down, two to go, but the two remaining were the big carriers. Due to weather on May 8th, US planes had difficulty locating the Japanese carriers. And when they did, one took refuge under low clouds and escape. The other took three bomb hits and was temporarily put out of commission. But meanwhile, the Japanese planes had located the Yorktown and the Lexington. The Yorktown was hit, but not sunk. The Lexington, unfortunately, was not so fortunate. She was hit multiple times. The crew worked furiously to repair the ship and put out fires, and for a while it appeared they were succeeding, 
but 12 minutes after their ship's log reported that all the fires below decks were put out, a new entry was logged that heavy explosions were felt venting up through the bomb elevators, and in spite of all the crew's efforts in the end, she had to be abandoned and scuttled. And that was essentially the end of the Battle of the Coral Sea. Interestingly, both sides claimed victory. The Japanese lost their smaller carrier and more aircraft than the Americans. However, the loss of the Lexington was a blow to U.S. forces in the Pacific. Yorktown survived, but had to limp back to Pearl Harbor trailing an oil slick. Perhaps the best claim for American victory, though, is the fact that the Japanese plans to invade Port Moresby were thwarted for good, as it turned out. However, the Japanese Navy did have other plans in the works. As new intelligence came in, Admiral Nimitz urged the workers repairing the Yorktown to hurry up, because if his analysts were correct, she was going to be needed soon to defend Midway. And great job, as always, to Monty on the storytelling there, and a special thanks to Anne Claire telling the story of the Doolittle Raids and the Battle of the Coral Sea. And we tell these stories about World War II and all of our stories about history, because if we forget what we did, well, we'll forget who we are. And by the way, for my money, that was a win for us. You can both claim victory. But the Japanese had plans with the Coral Sea, and we had plans of our own to stop them. And we did. And imagine what would have happened in World War II if Australia had been captured and taken over by the Japanese. Oh, be still my heart that that didn't happen. The story of the Doolittle Raids and the Battle of the Coral Sea, our history stories is always brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College here on Our American Stories. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.